0: This week, we have Hairbrush, Socks, Pencil, Orange by Kate Hartfield, and I Should Have Known Better by Judge Burton. We hope you enjoy our featured writers. As a reminder, there will be links to each writer's websites in our show notes, as well as on our social media pages. Keep your submissions coming for future episodes, and encourage your friends, family, and followers to listen, review, and subscribe. Let's get started. Airbrush, Socks, Pencils, Orange by Kate Hartfield I didn't have the kind of father who would fake reindeer tracks, and Mom would never have left us alone in the house, not even for as long as it might take to do it. So I knew no human made those marks. My sister Stacy wasn't convinced it had been reindeer. Any animal could have made them, she said. We stood on the couch in her nightgowns and pigtails to look out the window our bare feet scrabbling for purchase on the sagging cushion. We argued in whispers while Mom made coffee. We told Mom we wanted to make a snowman. I guess, she said, frowning, looking out the window. You don't want to open your stockings first? We shook our heads in unison. A snowman first, Stacy said. As we put our clothes and snowsuits on, I asked, just to be difficult, if Dad was home. We hadn't seen him around that morning, but that didn't mean much, because he often slept the day away, especially after the nights he came home at dawn. No. No, Vera, he is not home. Why does he stay out all night sometimes? Stacy asked. Some men do. That was always the answer. We knelt down in our snowsuits while Mom stood listless, staring at the road, the trees. We didn't know what reindeer tracks looked like, but we knew these were not them. These were spidery, and splayed like the claws of a great bird. Blue dark deep here, there tracing on the crest of shining snow, as if the creature had scuttled, settled, and then scuttled again. Girls, Mom said behind us, her voice like a branch breaking. Inside. Stockings. Now. We sat on the living room carpet while my mother paced. We knew what would be in each stocking. Hairbrush. Socks, pencils, orange. The same things every year. Things we could use. Eat, she said. When we were younger, she used to pretend the stocking oranges were treats. That they tasted better because they were special. Our magic oranges, she called them. They would keep the monster away all year. Monster. Singular. That didn't strike me as unusual when I was very young. I didn't know it was strange that our family had its own monster or that my mother believed in it. This time, she said nothing about treats or magic. She just looked out the window and frowned. This time, one of us decided to argue. Mom, Stacy said, she was almost a teenager. There is a bowl of oranges in the kitchen. These are different. She snapped. These are gifts. Gifts have power. Stacy rolled her eyes. I snickered nervously. My mother turned her eyes on us. Then, at last, she dug her thumb into an orange and tore some of the peel off. They were the loose-skinned little ones with the big seeds my mother called pips. Then she knelt and grabbed Stacy by the shoulder and sat on her legs, holding her against the side of the ratty brown couch. Mom stuffed the wound side of the orange into Stacy's mouth, ripping more of the peel off with her long fingernails as she shoved. My sister's lips, contorted with weeping and wet with tears and juice and snot, opened enough to let the flesh in, to let the pips drop out of her mouth into my mother's hand. I ate my orange, piece by piece, in silence. It was so sweet. It was eye watering, so sweet it was bitter. I spat the pips out neatly into my child's palm before my mother came to collect them. Stacy and I sat defeated beside the spindly pine tree. I remember how the needles on the carpet stuck to my sticky hands. Mom threw the pips one by one at the door and all the windows, as she did every Christmas. I wondered then whether this was the first time those marks had shown up, or whether it was only the first time we'd noticed them. "'The little pips struck hard and too loud, like larger things. "'When Mom had thrown them all, "'she went around again and picked them up. "'She saved our Christmas pips all year. "'Some mornings, in bed, we heard her throwing them. "'I tried to pretend it was birds hitting the windows. "'Okay,' she said, red-faced, standing in front of us. "'You might as well start the presents. "'Your father won't be coming in this morning.' "'Her breath came short,' but I saw the relief in her face. I wondered whether the pips would work to keep my father out. For that was the last Christmas I even half believed the lies my mother told me. The last Christmas I denied the truths she would not tell me. I never called my father dad after that. His face looked sad when I called him Jimmy or when I refused to speak to him at all. But there was nothing I could do about that. I knew he was different. Somehow, when he stayed away from us at night, That was all I needed to know. I never wanted to meet the monster that we kept out with my mother's bitter magic of small gifts and defiance. Kate Hartfield is a former newspaper editor and columnist in Ottawa, Canada. Her first novel, A Historical Fantasy, called Armed in Her Fashion, is coming from Chaizine Publications in May 2018. Spring 2018 will also see the publication of her interactive novel for Choice of Games, inspired by the Canterbury Tales. Her short fiction has appeared in several magazines and anthologies, including Strange Horizons, Escape Pod, and Lackingtons. Her novella, The Course of True Love, was published by Abaddon Books in 2016 as part of the collection Monstrous Little Voices, New Tales from Shakespeare's Fantasy World. Her website is heartfieldfiction.com, and she tweets at Kate Hartfield. have known better by Judge Burden. The beer is just as warm as the stale air blowing lazily from the swamp cooler. Cooler my ass, it's 107 degrees outside at 930 in the morning and the thermometer drips upward. I'm sitting at the meat rack on Miracle Mile in Tucson. Safe bar. Nobody ever fucks with me. And today would be a bad day to challenge my patients. I haven't had a fix in 39 hours. The heebie-jeebies are starting to crawl under my skin condition of my stomach comes into question. Here I am like John Sartre's character, dealing with the curse of Roquentin, feeling nauseated, trying to hold back my wanting to vomit, and I occasionally gag loudly. Got kicked out of the pussycat lounge for puking on a table earlier this morning. It feels like cats scratching at me from the inside, and I have no idea when relief will arrive. It's dry. The whole city is dry. I can't even locate a fucking Mandrax or quaalude to take the edge off. The Chicanos on the south side can't scare up a and there hasn't been any decent heroin around in weeks. I swear I'd shoot cough syrup right now if it contained enough codeine. She said she'd meet at the library on North First at 9. I'm late, and now a no-show. Just can't muster the energy or enthusiasm to walk that distance in this scorching, merciless solar torment. Besides, I'm not hard to find. It's not like I have an active social agenda. I'm similar to a homing pigeon. It may appear that I'm wandering from my confines, but I always find my way back, especially when dope is involved. She enters the dive bar, gliding across the floor with the grace of a swan. Her tits are like ripened mangoes and easily visible through her sheer summer dress. I was sure she was created by the gods from sea foam, navigating her half shell through calm seas. Nope, she was born to Jewish parents in New Jersey. Hey baby, how you feeling? She gently whispers as her fingers slide through my hair. I said library, not libation, she lectures. How the fuck you think I feel? I'm sick from withdrawals and I need a bump badly, baby. Okay, let's get out of here. Did you pay for that beer you didn't drink? She asks, concernedly. I'll pay Jimmy later. He'll be happy just to get rid of me. We head out to her MG convertible. The heat slaps me with intense sincerity, and I ask myself why I live in the desert. Almost every plant that grows and survives in this wasteland has some type of thorn, quill-fashioned briar or barb on it to protect itself from scavengers. There's a variety of venomous snakes, lizards, and insects sharing this ecosystem. These are my neighbors. I sit down in the black vinyl seat of her M.G. with the top down. I let out a scream that rivaled those that echoed throughout the dungeons during the Spanish Inquisition. My legs, exposed from sporting cutoffs, make contact with the seat, and they are instantly fried, burnt, charred. I forget about my other symptoms and concentrate solely on the pain ravaging my legs. I swear I heard the sound of sizzling. She throws a towel over the seat while giggling, attempting not to laugh. I think to myself, I should have known better. She pats my leg affectionately and says, you guessed it, silly, you should have known better. Where are we headed? I bark her dress dancing in the breeze, occasionally providing me with a brief glimpse of her trimmed pussy. Elegance defined. Sex, the farthest thing from my half-mind at this time. She smiles, her hand on my shoulder. Pasquo Yaqui Reservation, black tar, baby, Mexico's finest just arrived. And Grant Road, just east of I-10, is the Indian Reservation, best known for its fat women in black dresses, Indian fry bread, and incredibly potent hair. With anticipation. She races past the multiplex movie theater and into Tonto's neighborhood. A small dust devil sweeps past us as we park near the elementary school. I can feel the souls of a thousand warriors resting their eyes on this Dago kid from the south side of Chicago. Enough with the mysticism. Back to the main theme. Okay, give me the money. How much you got? She's not gonna like this answer. Fourteen dollars and like sixty-four cents? I respond like a guilty child. I think to myself, she should have known better. And then, just like it was possibly rehearsed, she grabs the dollar bills and the change as well and says, what class? Should have known better. You know, it's $20. I'll cover you again. No smile now. Still love me, baby? Yeah, like a toothache. She screams over the sound of a ringing school bell. I hear the mumbling of obscenities as she walks towards the orange-green, blue-yellow-painted house that appears as if it belonged on Sesame Street. She enters the yard where the young braves are gathered. And with the swiftness of Elvis leaving the building, she's back with the cachet. Just smell this shit, baby, she giggles. I open the cellophane and inhale the smell of redemption. She slams the gear shifter into first and we're on our way back to her apartment on North Campbell. I light a candle, unwrap my syringe, spoon, and cigarette filter. Next, I draw water from the Red Bugs Bunny cup. What's up, Doc? I chuggle sarcastically. The smoke from cooking the dope filters off into nowhere, and I fill the syringe with the coffee like liquid. I slide the syringe under my skin into a vein that I fondly refer to as the ditch. Eureka. Blood billows into my gun, and I push at the plunger. Happiness is a warm gun. Bang, bang, shoot, shoot, when I feel my finger on your trigger. quietly sing the Beatles song. I hear her voice faintly ordering me from the kitchen. Hey, asshole, don't shoot that whole $20 bag. This is strong shit, not that street dope you've been used to. My answer? Thud. His body slams into the floor. I should have known better. On an unseasonably cool July morning in Chicago, equivalent to Dickens' David Copperfield, Judge Burton was born on a Friday. His mother theorized it was so he would be in time for weekend festivities. His interest in the predominance of the written word inspired his study of English literature. He attended universities in the United States, London, and Paris, dedicating his life scholarship to the study of Victorian novels and authors. His writing career to date has been devoted primarily to poetry and songwriting, He is presently engaged in finishing his book, Imitation of Myself, a nonfiction story encompassing his experience as a drug runner for a Mexican cartel. judge celebrated his 65th birthday last July and lives modestly in Costa Rica. to check the show notes and our blog for links to our writers' websites and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. This has been the Independent Writers Podcast. Thank you for listening. Keep writing, keep sharing, keep growing.